Welcome to the podcast History MKE, where we bring you the best stories from Milwaukee's history. This week, Sean tells us all about the bricks that made Milwaukee famous. Hello, Tim. I've got a little bit of a quiz to start off today. Oh yeah? What's up? All right, here we go. What do the Fister Hotel, St. John's Cathedral, the Wicked Hop, and Historic Turner Hall all have in common? Tell Bar 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 Church. They all serve wine? Ooh, that's a good guess, but it's not what I was looking for. The answer is that they are all buildings made out of cream city brick. Tim, before you came to Milwaukee, you were from the greater Fond du Lac Metroplex, correct? <laughs> Metroplex, yeah. Uh, yeah. Metroplex of Fond du Lac. So, in Fond du Lac, were you familiar with the, the term or the, the building material of Cream City Brick? Uh, well, I had heard Cream City Brick, or not Cream City Brick, but I heard Milwaukee referred to as the Cream City. I don't really know why. All right, well, let's let's talk about it. Let's So, so let's, let's uh, dig into the history of the Cream City Brick in Milwaukee. The first known making of brick in Milwaukee was actually really early in the pioneer days. Solomon Juno himself invited a pair of brothers, Nelson and Thomas Olin, to come to Milwaukee to take a stab at opening a brickyard all the way back in 1835. Keep in mind, that was a time when the total non-native population of Milwaukee was only about 50 people. When their first bricks were fired using the local clay, everyone involved in the endeavor was puzzled when the bricks came out of the kiln with a pale yellow color instead of the usual dark brown or red coloring that was common up and down the east coast of the U.S. It was reported by historian James Buck that the early brickmakers were more than a little disgusted that their bricks were yellow instead of red. They even thought that the bricks might be completely worthless. However, Brickmaking happens to be one of those industries that from colonial times on had remained a regional if not a strictly local business. And so, the early brickmakers in Milwaukee and southeast Wisconsin in general were pretty much stuck with their local yellow bricks. You say regional as a standard, is that because it was just low value as their bricks and it's hard to transport? Well, yeah, there's not a lot of value added to bricks. You can make bricks pretty much anywhere, and the transportation costs back in the early 1800s would have been astronomical to move bricks around. So it remained, a, it remained a pretty regional, if not local, industry. At the time, a variety of explanations were put forth as to why our bricks turned yellow instead of red. One theory was that our clay had virtually no iron in it, which turned out not to be true. Another theory was that our clay was extraordinarily, had an extraordinary amount of uh, sulfur in it, which also wasn't true. Later scientific analysis revealed that the clay in and around Milwaukee has high levels of calcium and magnesium that chemically react to neutralize the iron in the clay, which then turns yellow when fired. Incidentally, I should mention that the clay deposits in and around Milwaukee uh, that were used for making brick are a result of the Ice Age. As glaciers advanced and retreated over and over again, the water that ran off the melting glaciers carried sediments which deposited themselves at the bottom of glacial rivers and lakes. When the glaciers were gone and the lakes evaporated, the reddish or purplish-colored lacustrine clay deposits were left throughout the Milwaukee area. As a matter of fact, most of these clay deposits could be found just a few feet under the topsoil, and some of these clay beds were over a hundred feet deep. As Milwaukee grew from a small pioneer trading village in the 1830s, so too did the making and use of the local brick. As Milwaukee's population exploded throughout the 1840s and 50s, a huge number of new buildings went up using the native yellow bricks. 
and in the 1860s, a tremendous number of older wooden frame buildings were replaced with bigger and taller brick structures. And it was because so many buildings were made with a local brick during this period from the 1830s to the 1860s that Milwaukee got its nickname. There's no single proven source as to the origin for the nickname. However, I have heard that as Great Lakes schooners entered the Milwaukee Bay, they were suddenly staring at a city seemingly built completely out of this pale yellow or cream-colored brick. So one theory is that it was these Great Lakes seafarers who may have first coined the phrase Cream City. By the 1850s, visitors to Milwaukee and newspaper reporters were publishing a number of variants of the name. City of Cream-Colored Brick in 1849, Cream City of the Lakes, Cream City of the West, and Cream City of the Unsalted Seas were all thrown out there in the 1850s. Fortunately, by the 1860s, we settled on the simpler and shorter Cream City as our nickname. One observation that I particularly like came from a visiting British reporter. He said that, Milwaukee is built out of cream and sugar. Of course, to build hundreds of buildings using our local brick, we had to have brickmakers. A number of brickyards were established in Milwaukee throughout the 19th century. Some of the more prominent brickmakers included the Burnham Brothers, Martin Davelar and Sons, the Chase Valley Brickyards owned by George Chase, and the Cream City Brick Company organized by William Drake. Out of all the brickmakers, it was the Burnham Brothers who were by far the largest and most successful in Milwaukee. George and Jonathan L. Burnham entered into business together in 1844 with a small brickyard at the foot of 13th Street on the north side of the Menominee Valley, which is not far from where the Haggerty Museum of Art is on the Marquette campus today. The brothers toiled for a number of years with moderate success until they made the move to the south side of the valley near what is now the corner of Muskego and Bruce, which is just a couple blocks south of where today's Pottawatomie Casino is. It was at this location that they created an invention that revolutionized the brickmaking industry. They designed the first machine that could grind and temper the clay and simultaneously mold the bricks mechanically using steam power. In 1856, the brothers mutually agreed to split with each other. JL retained the existing Menominee brickyard, and George purchased an even larger site just a few blocks to the east. Whether together or separate, the Burnham brothers were the dominant force in brickmaking throughout the second half of the 19th century. After the split, Jonathan continued to own and operate his brickyard. However, his interest turned towards real estate and politics, and he eventually became one of the largest landowners in Milwaukee. George, however, was not satisfied with having just one brickyard. He went on to build a second yard in Wauwatosa and a third in Bayview on Howell Avenue. In addition, George continued to innovate in automation and by 1867, he had improved the earlier brick-making machine to mold up to 4,000 bricks an hour, something that nobody else was able to do. So by 1881, he employed over 200 men and produced over 15 million bricks a year. This was enough to briefly make him the largest brick producer in the world. It should probably be noted there are basically two kinds of Cream City brick out there, common and pressed, or sometimes called steam-pressed, Cream City bricks. Common bricks are molded either by hand or machine, usually into a wet wooden mold that is lined with sand to keep the clay from sticking to the mold. Once fired, these bricks tend to be more porous, have better insulating qualities, but have rough and less uniform faces and corners. This is the process by which bricks were made for centuries, and mostly by hand. It's also how most Cream City bricks were produced. 
Pressed bricks are made with a technique that super compresses the clay into the mold and forms very smooth faces, sharp edges, and perfectly square corners. These bricks are more expensive, and because they're less porous, they're also more resistant to staining from pollution. It was throughout the 19th century that a number of Milwaukee's most iconic structures were built using Cream City brick. And fortunately for all of us, many of them are still with us today. The Pfister Hotel, the old main building at National Soldiers Home at the VA, Historic Turner Hall, and the Women's Club of Wisconsin are all, more or less, still functioning as they had a century ago. A number of churches are made out of Cream City brick, including St. John's and All Saints Cathedrals in Yankee Hill, Old St. Mary's on Broadway, St. Hedwig's on Brady Street, St. Lucas Lutheran in Bayview, and St. Stanislaus on Mitchell Street. Several of Milwaukee's public schools were built using Cream City bricks, like the Trowbridge and Dover Street schools in Bayview, and the Cass Street and Maryland Avenue schools on the east side, and many, many others. Although, it's hard to tell today because most of these schools are now painted. Schools weren't the only publicly owned and operated Cream City brick buildings. There are a number of Cream City Milwaukee firehouses, like the one at the corner of Park and Bartlett, right across the street from the Riverside Urban Ecology Center on the east side. There are also several 19th century taverns, including Sobelman's Pub and Grill, the Tide House in the Third Ward, Three Brothers Serbian Restaurant in Bayview, Landmark 1850 across from the airport, the Nomad on Brady Street, Ristorante Bartolotta in Wauwatosa, and the building that houses Lacage in Walker's Point. There are also many, many Cream City brick homes that survive, including dozens in the Yankee Hill, Brewers Hill, Brady Street, and Walker's Point neighborhoods in particular. In fact, Everyone listening to this podcast needs to do themselves a favor and get out of your car and walk through those neighborhoods to take in not just the Cream City brick, but also the flavor of what 19th century Milwaukee neighborhoods felt like in general. Factories and commercial buildings also ate up millions of Cream City bricks. All four of Milwaukee's largest breweries were made using the bricks that made Milwaukee famous. The Schlitz, Pabst, Miller, and Blatt's complexes all have surviving Cream City buildings that you can pass by or visit today. The Pritzloff Building on 2nd and St. Paul once housed one of the nation's largest hardware supply wholesalers. And just down the street, the Milwaukee Cold Storage Company once kept dairy, eggs, meats, fruits, and vegetables cool and fresh in a time before mechanical refrigeration. So what I just rattled off is just a fraction of the surviving Cream City Rick buildings that are still with us today in Milwaukee. Improvements in transportation also allowed Milwaukee brickmaking to move from a local or regional industry into a national business. By the mid-19th century, steamships and railroads made it possible for Milwaukee's brickmakers to ship their product far and wide. What was once considered a worthless commodity suddenly became quite fashionable, not just in Milwaukee, but throughout the United States. Orders for Cream City Brick were sent out to Chicago, Minneapolis, Dubuque, Detroit, Buffalo, and even New York City. In 1871, the orders from Chicago were particularly large, considering the fact that the Great Chicago Fire had just burned down roughly 17,000 buildings and leveled over three square miles in the heart of downtown. One Cream City building that's located outside Milwaukee that I just want to feature briefly is the Grain Belt Brewery Building in Minneapolis. It is simply one of the most impressive Cream City buildings that I've ever seen. It was built in 1891 in the Richardsonian Romanesque architectural style and is adorned with those heavy, rounded arches throughout the building. It also features architectural elements that would never be built on a factory today, such as a pair of hipped roof towers, a scenic belvedere, an ornamental widow's walk, and a mansard domed tower with oculus windows and a decorative cupola at the top. 
Fortunately, this building has survived a couple of close calls in its history, including a near-disastrous fire in 1893 and an effort to completely raise the brewery in 1987. Today, the old Grain Belt Brewery is still with us, and just like its Schlitz and Blatt's cousins in Milwaukee, it no longer brews beer, but has been brought back to life with alternative uses. Unfortunately, a good thing can't last forever, and by the end of the 19th century, the days of Cream City Brick were numbered. A number of factors all combined at the same time to bring an end to the production of Cream City Brick. First, the depletion of the high-quality clay needed to produce Cream City Brick led to increased costs in producing the brick. Clay deposits that had once been as thick as 100 feet were gone, and efforts to find suitable clay of equal quality had pretty much failed. It's even arguable that by the turn of the century, true Cream City Brick was no longer being produced. Second, pressure was put on many brickmakers due to the demand for real estate. Many of the brickyards were close to the commercial center of downtown, and the pressure to sell out for development was too great, and so a number of brickyards did. Third, changing tastes in architecture seriously affected the demand for Cream City Brick. Just as Milwaukee could export her bricks to other cities, other cities could send their bricks to Milwaukee. Changing tastes and the desire for something different led architects and builders to choose different types of bricks other than Cream City. Just one example is Milwaukee City Hall. In 1895, architect Henry Koch chose to face his monumental edifice with brown pressed brick from St. Louis instead of the local cream-colored brick. Although I should add that underneath the St. Louis brick, the actual structural load-bearing brick of St. City Hall is Cream City brick. Another blow was that builders were choosing other building materials altogether. By the turn of the century, the majority of houses being built were built using wooden frame construction instead of brick. And on the other end of the spectrum, many government and office buildings were being built with stone instead of brick. Such as the Germania Building, the Public Library, and the Interurban Terminal on Michigan Street. Along with changing tastes, Cream City Brick, and in particular, common Cream City Brick, was showing its primary weakness. At a time when most of the city was powered and heated by coal, the porous Cream City Brick quickly lost its creamy yellow color and instead turned completely black when exposed to coal smoke. Um... Old St. Mary's Church on Broadway is an example of this, and it still has its coat of black coal soot. Lastly, an ongoing and bitter price war with Chicago brickmakers led to the final straw for the brick industry in Milwaukee. Throughout the decade of the 1890s, Chicago brickmakers were intentionally undercutting Milwaukee brick prices and subsequently were able to secure large percentages of a market share here in Milwaukee. Prices at the end of the decade were nearly half what they'd been at the beginning, and at those prices, it wasn't profitable to even be in business. And so, thanks to all these negative factors, nearly all the Milwaukee brickmakers went out of business by around 1900. Only one brickmaker managed to limp along well into the 20th century, and that was the Burnham Brothers with their South Milwaukee location. But even they finally gave up in 1929. And so, Cream City Brick has not been manufactured for about 100 years now. However, the name and the legacy of Cream City lives on. It lives on not only in the physical bricks that dozens of remaining local buildings are made of, but it also lives on in spirit. Within just the past year, two of our local sports teams have adopted the Cream City theme with their uniforms. In a nod to the nickname, the Milwaukee Brewers have chosen a solid cream color as their primary home uniforms, and the Milwaukee Bucks have adopted a special Cream City uniform as this year's City Edition uniform. Not only that, but there are over a dozen local businesses that have Cream City in their name. 
From Cream City awning and patio, to Cream City wrecking and dismantling, to Cream City restoration, to my favorite, the Cream City Kitty Clinic. Let's also remember my brother-in-law's podcast, Cream City Pacers. Oh, that's right. So there's another one. They're all around us. And so the legacy of Cream City lives on. And that is our story for today. Next time, we talk about Alfred Lawson, who I'd never heard of, but is quite the character. He had a baseball career when young, then made airplanes, only later to leave it all behind and have his own religion. I hope you'll join us then.